Earn your women, gender, and sexuality studies degree online. Explore the role of race, social class, age, ability, appearance, and sexual identity. Play in women's everyday lives. Join the nation of do what you love. Push up your sleeves, make the world better. Oregon State University. Learn more at ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash WGSS. That's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash WGSS. Hi, welcome to Back Talk. This is a conversation between a couple of feminist folks talking about this week in current events and pop culture. I am Amy Lamb, the contributing editor to Bitch Media, and I'm here with Sarah Merck, the online editor at Bitch Media. Did you turn into a robot? Is that a robot voice? <laughs> no, this is like my my morning DJ talk voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, seeing as most so- seeing as most morning DJs have been replaced by robots, that's actually pretty accurate. And they are kind of robotic. Yeah, like, they are. They all have their catchphrases, a little like, and they have like a whole keyboard of like um, wonky sounds that they do, like. Oh yeah. Know? Does that does that still <laughs> exist? I feel like that's a relic from the past. Is it really? I don't know anymore. I don't know. I don't have any morning drive time, so. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so each week we start our show off by talking about like a favorite piece of pop culture. What are you favoriting about, Sarah? So this last weekend, I got strep throat. That's, oh, my God. Um, where I, I was really glad I went to the doctor and that they, like, validated my pain with a diagnosis. It was really wow. good. But that means I spent all weekend just sitting around indoors taking antibiotics and listening to podcasts. And my favorite piece of pop culture this week is the podcast Criminal. Uh, do you listen to that show? No. Now I'm, like, I'm excited already. Yeah, you have a, you have a lot of podcast to listen to now um the show criminal it's uh it looks at crimes and people who have committed crimes and explores that topic in i think a really in-depth and nuanced way i was i was worried about it being just like too graphic violence there's a lot of like true crime podcasts that sort of just talk about like here's this gory crime that happened and isn't that wild but criminal is like a very insightful and interesting look at the criminal justice system, at what it means to, what what crime is even, and how that definition is constantly evolving. I'm, I'm totally going to subscribe. Um, my favorite piece of pop culture this week is, so one of the, um, one of the people in my cohort of school, uh, her name is Aziza Barnes, and she's a poet. She's a year ahead of me. And um, like, Amazing, amazing, amazing writer to begin with, but she's also doing really amazing work with a friend of hers um, named Nabila Lovelace. Uh, she is an MFA poetry student at Alabama. The two of them decided that they were going to start a literary festival centered around young black writers. And it was like a, just a, a spark of an idea last year. And this year, luckily enough, I got to be here to witness what it is. It's called The Conversation, and it's like a, a literary, a very small literary festival where this group of black writers, um, mostly black writers, there are, there's a Latinx writer and an Asian writer as well in the group, where they travel from Oxford, Mississippi, where we are now, to Tuscaloosa, um, where the Bama program is, and then they're, they're going down to New Orleans to talk about, like, to have readings, to showcase these young writers of color, to talk about their experiences, to hold panels, um, and, like, it's it's just so amazing to see like two young black women put this together and to see it happen like so this week them they put the reading on for 
Oxford and it was so moving and amazing and incredible and afterwards I told Nabila and uh, Aziza I was just like props to you two like like having a vision about what you want something to be like and then creating that and then bringing all of these amazing talented people here to do readings so if if you're you know, in the South, or if you're interested in this type of literature, I totally recommend first looking up the event. It's called The Conversation. And um, if you're catching this for this podcast, like now, they'll be in New Orleans over the weekend. But I think this is something that you should follow. And I'm sure there's going to be amazing um, versions of this festival, like for years to come. That's also just inspirational to be like, oh, you you're friends with somebody, you want to make something happen, and you make it happen, you pull it off, you know, I, I literally, I can't even wrap my mind around how they made this happen. Like to bring, I think it's like 16, 16 people like to our campus. Like just the logistics of it, to fly them all out here, to house all of them. I'm like, how did you do it? <laughs> like, besides the fact that it was so uh, incredibly um, moving and um, like the reading was so engaging and like just to see like five black readers in a row writing like and, um, you know, it's um, being exposed to their work and one of those readers was um hanif willis abdur Arkib, who we've had featured on propaganda oh, yeah he's the great poet we had him on propaganda a few months ago on the in yeah, he's on exactly. the insider outsider episode exactly so it was like see it was great to see him again uh, i made him sign his book to me and i made him sign uh, words of encouragement for the portland trailblazers uh, <laughs> so that made me realize that from now on i'm gonna ask authors to sign like words of encouragement for my basketball team in, in their, their books, books instead of just like like signing their book be like just sign it to the trailblazers please <laughs> or you know i think i think hanif wrote like i think the blazers are on the brink of something great <laughs> <laughs> that's great um man yeah i feel really good when i get together to like eat three meals a day and go to work <laughs> much less host an entire literary festival right Jeez, exactly yeah um so this week on the show we're talking about horrors two kinds of the horrors. horror so much horror. <laughs> it's, our, it's our halloween horror episode we're going to talk about the horrors of donald trump and then uh <laughs> feminist takes on horror films with special guest dahlia grossman hines aka bitch's resident horror film buff <laughs> sound good yeah sounds amazing i'm excited I feel like each week leading up to this election, I don't think it can get worse. And then somehow every week it gets worse. And <laughs> this past month has been has been really tough. I feel like we've really reached a breaking point where it's really tough to read the news. It's tough to hear the news because a lot of it is talking about, rightly so, is talking about Donald Trump and his history of sexual harassment and sexual assault. Like since the debate uh, two weeks ago where Anderson Cooper, thankfully, put him on the spot and said, hey, um, there was this video that, that came out about you talking about grabbing a woman's pussy very in a very cavalier way. That is sexual assault. Uh, and did, did you commit that? Is that something you've done? And Trump denied it. And it was, you know, for me, it was really surprising to hear somebody on a national debate actually call Trump's actions what they are, sexual assault. I guess the bar for reporting on Trump's on Trump this election has felt really, really low of people sort of giving his behavior a pass by just saying like, oh, you know, he's outspoken. He does what he wants when like, no, that's sexual assault. And the stuff that he's been advocating at this whole election has been, you know, has been very vile, but it's been given a pass as just saying, you know, he's a plain spoken guy. So anyway, after that, numerous, numerous women have have come forward with stories about Donald Trump's behavior toward them. 
including participants at beauty pageants saying that he's come into the the dressing room when they're naked and looking at them. These are these are teenage girls, as well as several women who've had detailed reports about Donald Trump um, fondling them without their permission at all in a public place um, and allegations of, of other types of assault. And so I guess I just want to talk, Amy, about like how this has finally reached a breaking point, it seems like, with people taking Donald Trump's actions seriously and naming them for what they are. And then also just the the trauma of hearing about this in the news. I've been talking to a lot of female friends about how hard it is to listen to descriptions of this kind of stuff occurring with, you know, somebody who's running for president and who people are going to actually vote for. And it reminds them of trauma that's happened to them, assault and harassment that's happened to them, and how it's it's really, really gross and scary to think about people listening to Donald Trump engaging in this kind of behavior and saying, I'm still going to vote for him anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, during the um, most recent debate, I mean, there's going to be a debate later tonight because we're recording this um, on the day and Wednesday, and there's going to be a, la- a debate later tonight. But in the second debate that we just watched a couple weeks ago, I, f- I was watching it and, and I found myself like... Um, having this feeling, like this uh, physical reaction that I wasn't sure what it was. And it it wasn't until like halfway through the debates that I realized that I was having uh, like an internal like fight or flight feeling, this buzzing feeling that I get sometimes when I'm like uh, triggered by something uh, because it's like a a defense mechanism that my body goes through when I'm not feeling comfortable or I'm feeling bullied or attacked or I'm reliving something, um, some past trauma. And I had, it's so wild, but while I was watching him um, gaslight Hillary Clinton, I was feeling that because I was feeling like, I was remembering the times that like I had former partners gaslight me. Yeah. Uh I was like, I was like, wow, I'm, I I mean, it's not as if um, in my life, I never see men gaslight women on television, but I think it was the context and that like, this is a man vying for like the most powerful seat in probably the world and he's gaslighting women like on tv right now uh, disguises a debate and it and I had a very physical visceral reaction to it and and that was something I was just like man like am I watching some dystopic um like fictional film version of what our, our reality is because it it just seems so um absurd that this was happening yeah if, so if, there's if, that piece that like yeah like you're saying like, you have your friends who who are experiencing this and seeing this and, and being like, how do I avoid this during this, especially this during this time of the year? Yeah. And if listeners don't know what the term gaslight means, it's something I only learned the term for a, a couple of years ago, which is that uh, when someone who's being abusive or who's being uh, mean to you turns turns it around and says it's your fault for that. So in the last debate, we saw some textbook examples of this where Hillary Clinton was taking Donald Trump to task for uh, his actions and behaviors toward women, saying, you know, that's harassment, that's assault. And he responded with, uh, you laughed at a teenage rape victim, which everyone was like, what? And that was one of those things that was very quickly fact-checked. And people were like, no, Hillary Clinton did not like laugh about a teenage rape victim. But that's gaslighting when he says, oh, you think I'm bad? Actually, you're the problem. And that's something during the debate I and, and listening to Donald Trump's rhetoric, I also have like a very just like negative physical reaction to it where it makes me it makes me feel like sad and vulnerable and sick. And during the last debate, I, you know, I was watching it with um, a female friend of mine and 
we started off the debate, you know, how we usually do, you know, sort of like talking about what they're saying, like, oh, that's dumb or that's that's on that's on a good point. Or when are they going to talk about this? You know, kind of talking to each other about the issues and back and forth at the candidates engaging in it. And by the end, we were both just like stone faced. We couldn't say anything. We're both just like sad. And um, she has she has a young daughter. And I was like, man, how do you feel about raising your daughter in this world does watching this debate just make you sad about the world your daughter is going to live in and you know she was like well hopefully my daughter can help make the world a better place a less donald trump like place but that's the feeling i have listening to him is i'm just like i'm it's like a physical horror reaction and this is not just me this is something that a lot of uh, women who have been reporting on Donald Trump have been talking about, too, how hard it is p- to be on the campaign trail with at these events where Republicans are, you know, calling for Hillary Clinton's death. They're calling her a bitch or using all these really gendered slurs against her and where it's clear that somebody can assault women and harass women and people will still think of them as a legitimate presidential candidate. Right. Like there was this one moment while I was watching it, and, and maybe I'm misremembering it because it was so ridiculous, but you know, when Anderson Cooper, like, levied that charge at him about, you know, assaulting a woman, he was just like, yes, well, but but what about Hillary Clinton's, like, missing emails? Exactly, like, you know what yeah. I will do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jail, I'm going to put her in prison. You know, it's like, it, it just, it was so, it, I was just like, this can't be real, but it was real. And that's what's, I think, like, the weight of the trauma of everything is that, like, like are we really just, like, weeks away from having like a very publicly known abusive person you know in in power and that's that's the like the most wild thought ever but you know you also asked another question um earlier about how like what does it mean that like now that this stuff has come to light and like the media coverage around talking about him um being like you know violating women um i mean there's been also been critiques about how for almost a, you know, a year and a half now, um, Trump has been campaigning on the worst fear mongering ever. And most of it was like, you know, z- xenophobia and based on race, like yeah. he had, or, or religion, like being very Islamophobic, being very anti-Mexican and, uh, and saying very like, um, problematic things about black folks. Right. And there's been things that have come up and says like, yes, but it wasn't until a tape came out saying that, um, where he talked lewdly about white women, that everybody got their like panties in a bunch. Um, I think that that's something also worth, to worth talking like worth talking about, worth looking at about like sort of like who, um, like how is it that like all of like that racist um, rhetoric kind of like was okay to talk about with him, and he was still getting like like. I wouldn't say favor favorable uh, media mention, but it was like neutral. Whereas now, I think a lot of like media is just being like, "Oh no, he's a bigoted piece of shit." Um, like how that transformed it, and how it had to do a lot with gender versus like when he was being just like a, the most blatant racist, and he was still a very viable candidate at that time. Yeah, it says a lot about what um, is acceptable in our society today, and I guess we found that line of acceptability where. Um, at least to mainstream media outlets, they'll call out somebody for saying that they're going to grab a woman's pussy. But previously in the campaign, they wouldn't use the words bigot or racist uh, to dis- or Islamophobic to describe Donald Trump's ideas and policies. Instead, you know, he's very um, he's very outspoken. He's 
uh, you know, he's uncensored. He's straight talking. He's frank. No, the words you're looking for are racist and bigoted. And Tamara Winfrey Harris, who's a columnist at, for, for Bitch, wrote a great column last week about um, her column is called Some of Us Are Brave. And it looks a lot. It looks at the race and gender components of what it's taken to break the camel's back in this election. And and suddenly the tides are turning against Trump. But what she's saying is the tides should have turned against Trump a long time ago. You know, he should have not been a viable presidential candidate from day one of his campaign where he made it about building a wall and called Mexican immigrants, you know, criminals and rapists. Like that is where we that is where people should have drawn the line. And instead, it's taken a year and a half of this kind of bigotry to get to a point where people are suddenly like, whoa, I don't know about this guy. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just shameful, frankly. And and it isn't just about Trump or his supporters, but it's also about like how mainstream media coverage has framed who he is. You know, when he started with that wall, like bullshit, people were just kind of like, oh, what a fun, quirky, uh, anti-Mexican racist, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, um, like, like this will be a fun political circus. Right. But like, you know, if if there were a majority of um, Latinx editors or Latinx news reporters um, and mainstream media, I don't think it would have been framed that way. Like, let's be honest. But I think it's because, like, you know, a lot of um, who runs on these news networks or who edits these um, publications, there are white folks who are just like, well, this is just a man expressing his ideas. You know, like, we need to look really hard at, like, how who is reporting the news affects how we read the news and how we read who's a potential presidential candidate because he got this far because I think that um, public opinion um, gave him a pass uh, and public opinion is like largely influenced by how we receive our information from media sources. Yeah. Like literally I like no trumps to my door on Halloween because I'm not giving anybody candy. <laughs> I don't want to open If anyone's dressed as Trump, you're just going to be like, no, go away. <laughs> I don't want you here. I'm going to build a wall, okay? <laughs> the next part of our Halloween horror show is we're going to talk about feminist analyses of horror films. And we have here in the studio a special guest, Dahlia Grossman-Hines. Hi, Dahlia. Hi. Uh, Yay! is <laughs> the audience engagement manager at Bitch, which means she does everything from run our Bitch on Campus program, hooking up speakers with colleges, to writing emails and working on talking to readers. But you're also Bitch's in-house resident horror film buff. Oh my God! That's wait, 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 wait! I don't want to. I don't want to gloss over this really important part of Dahlia's job. Is that? She is amazing at finding whatever gift you need. Oh, yeah. Situation. Oh, my God. Like, I literally think that Dahlia's resume should just be gifts. That is so nice of you to say. Yeah, if you ever see Bitch's account tweeting a gif, uh, that gif came from Dahlia. Yeah, I love to communicate via gifts because they're just like the perfect little joke, you know? Yeah. I, I just feel like I feel like my brain has been reduced to mostly gifts and emojis. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I used to write. I used to think in sentences, but now I just think in emojis. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like always. Yeah. Hard eyes. Cat hard eyes. That's it. That's all I am. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm the big eyes like the huh eyes. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, OK, you're not here to talk about emojis. Sadly. <laughs> we, have, we have important things to discuss. Important things. Which is horror films. Horror films. Of course, October is Halloween Horror Month. So we did this call out to readers asking them to suggest 
horror films that we should review or that people should watch who are feminist folks mm-hmm. who should watch during the month of October. Mm-hmm. And readers suggested 130. 130 individual movies. That's awesome. It was so many. Wow. Yeah. And then you narrowed it down. To, I did. To 20 films. Yes. So what, first of all, I want to know what's on that top 20 list. Okay. And then I want to talk about what's the deal? Because <laughs> I personally like can't watch horror movies and I don't I love horror movies. I don't like them okay a- Amy what's what's your take do you watch horror films um it depends I don't like the super gory stuff like if it's too bloody it's too much but I love being scared that's why I love like the classic ones from I think it was the 2000s like I know what you did last summer oh yeah or uh, yeah or um the one with uh, Courtney Cox wait was that also that was, was that a scream Green. Yeah, okay. I love those ones because they weren't like they weren't super gory, but they were like really suspenseful. So, I, that's the kind. Of I way. guess it comes down to I don't like being scared. And yeah. uh, so, what? Let's talk first about like. So, what's the appeal of horror films to you? Like, why do people like yourself like to be scared? And why are there so many like like f- feminist fans who are like, yes, I'm so down with horror films. I think there's like a lot of things at play in the psychology of feminists who like horror films. I think one of the things is, I don't know if I would say I'm someone who likes being scared, but I also like to, I like to be able to control how scared I am. So um, when I'm going into a horror film that I, you know, suspect is going to have like a lot of like jump scares or like loud noises, I'm totally like shamelessly, I will cover my eyes during a movie and just like allow myself to see when I'm ready to see. Um, so I sort of like that power that I have to be like, no, I'm not, I'm this level of scared and I'm not comfortable being more scared until later. So I will cover my eyes even though I do and I don't like being scared. I read this book when I was in high school called uh, The Uses of Enchantment. And it is this sort of like Freudian book about fairy tales. And it basically argues that fairy tales are useful to children because they help children sort of symbolically see and strategize and then conquer their fears sort of through an avatar like Hansel and Gretel. And I think that some of the same thing, some of the same psychology is at work uh, when you see a horror film, because very, very often either like the evil force, the bad thing in a horror film is a woman uh, or it is a woman who will conquer the evil thing. And that's the famous trope of the final girl, who is the the character in movies like Halloween or like Alien where there's one woman character who at the very end is the one who defeats the monster and lives to tell the tale. So I think there's something sort of of course fun uh, but also kind of empowering about these two sides of the coin which is that in horror films um, you know there's so many women and there's women conquering the evil but then there's also women being the evil and I think that um, it's fun to watch both of those sides in different horror films. I think for me, what really keeps me from watching a lot of horror films is I just have a really strong visceral reaction to violence in movies, to any kind of like, uh, just just anything like scary or violent in movies. And so for me, like, even if the person conquers in the end, uh, I still have those images like seared into my brain. Yeah. You know, I can be like, oh, good. She lived, but I'm still thinking about like the person who got their arm chopped off, or I'm still thinking about the bear trap, or, you know, I'm still thinking about the walls of blood. Like those images don't leave me. And for like days and days afterwards, like I just feel like very vulnerable. And I feel like, you know, when I'm walking home or when I'm at my house by myself, those thoughts just come to me and I'm like, 
walls of blood gonna get an arm chopped off bear trap you know <laughs> does that does that does that not affect you in that way or does it affect you that way but you like it because it makes you think about fear or taboo in a different way yeah I think I'm like a sort of really like anxious over planner and in some sort of like perverse way if I have like all of these many many scenarios of like horrible things that could happen to me I'm like well good now I know what I'm gonna do when there's a bear trap good now I'm gonna know what to do if someone attacks me with a chainsaw um and of course that's not like really viable um it's just, like, it's just running in your yeah, brain. Yeah, but I'm though. someone who likes things like that. And I do sort of constantly, like, I do do exactly that thing you're saying. Like, I'll be taking a shower alone and I'll be like, what if there's a, a ghost outside of my shower? <laughs> what is, wait, wait, wait. What is up with you two? <laughs> you don't do that? You don't do that? No, I, I don't know what it is. But I mean, maybe there's two factors. First is I have a terrible memory. So like I watch something and then it's like, oh, I, I process it and then I'm done with it. So that's that huh. first thing. And I think secondly, maybe it's because you watch enough of it, then it's just like your your brain is oversaturated by your, and, and you become desensitized. So I think actually my prescription for Sarah is to watch more of this. No! <laughs> yeah. Desensitize yourself. <laughs> yeah, there's actually this... Um... Emily Nussbaum piece in The New Yorker about uh, sort of the catharsis of watching Special Victims Unit. Uh-huh. And she basically says Law that like... Order, Law and Order SVU, Special Victims Unit. Um, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, dun, dun. Sorry. Um, yeah. And she basically says that like it is a lot of violence, but that at some point maybe viewers are getting desensitized and then sort of move into this like sort of strategy mode that I was talking about where you say like, well, here's a thing that could happen and here's how I could avoid it. Um, the more desensitized you are to the violence, sort of the, not that I'm saying it's the best thing to be desensitized to violence, but the more sort of analytically you can see those scenarios. Mm-hmm. What What are personally some of your favorite horror films where you watch them and you realize like, oh, I like, I like this. The, I think the first horror film that I remember just like, there have been so many times when I've just like, my parents sat me down at a young age and were like, you should watch, let's watch this movie. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm leaving now. Uh, but the first movie that I the really, really, really scared me was The Ring, which came out when I was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And I was so, so scared. So I saw it yeah. three times in theaters. What? Because I loved it so much, but also terrified, totally terrified. I remember like, I think someone prank called me and did like the seven days spooky voice. Stop. Like terrified. I was terrified, but I really liked it. I really liked it. What, what did you connect with about that film? Well, I think like, you know, the so the idea of like a woman ghost is really interesting. And also because I was like 13, like the idea of like a child, a girl ghost was really interesting to me. And also sort of the other side, like the final girl who is played by Naomi Watts in The Ring, you know, just doing all this like cool detective sleuthing and like figuring out the mystery. <laughs> Both of those angles. <laughs> Do you uh, Are you one of those people who like scream out loud when there's a scare? I don't like mostly not I think I'm pretty good at knowing when I'm about to be scared and like I said I'll just like cover my eyes and be like I'm not prepared for this yet uh but I think every once in a while I might get I might like I like I jump if you're wondering about me Amy yes uh (laughs) I scream like when somebody walks into a room and I'm not expecting it (laughs) um I'm at the end of watching a scary movie like I watched I, I also I think it's really good to try and push yourself to watch films that are like really cinematically worthwhile but that are pretty scary like the movie alien Mm -hmm. i love alien um it took me three days to watch alien because i had i watched the first part and then as soon as they introduced like the face hugging creature Mm -hmm. and it was on that guy's face i was just like no 
<laughs> I can't, I can't no. keep watching this movie. <laughs> so then I stopped watching yeah. it, but then I took a day to think about it, and I was just like, I have to. I have to Sarah. keep watching it. I have to, I have to finish yeah, it. So then I watched the- Your horror movie watching <laughs> technique is so amazing. It's a feminist classic. And then I watched, yeah, and then I, and I really love Ripley's character in that movie, and she's the kind of character who really, who really kept me watching. Anyway, I watched other chunks of it over the course of two days with all the lights on. Very and another tactic is putting the computer, of course, on the other side of the room and watching it from far away. Um, but I, but like by the end, I'm like sweaty and scared. But it's it can be a powerful experience. Yeah, well, I feel like that ability to like control your own environment to say like, well, I'm gonna watch it, but I'm gonna be drinking hot chocolate and I'm gonna be on my couch and the movie's gonna be over there. Um, I think that's helpful for people to be able to just like. Control the level of scariness they're comfortable with at any moment. So, what were some of the? Oh, go, go ahead, Amy. Oh, I was just gonna say that, like, I think another reason why, I like, watching scary movies where they're like, like, you know, scares where you're, you kind of jump or whatever. Because I, I am actually one of those people who are like, I freely scream and yell at the TV. <laughs> and it, and I think that in watching horror films like this, you get permission as a viewer to scream and to like let that out viscerally. And it's something that, like, you don't get to do on a day-to-day basis when you have, like, so much, te- like, tension building up. Like, maybe you're sitting in a class or in an office where you do want to scream at one of your coworkers because they're being inappropriate or problematic, but you can't. So you save it from when you're watching, like, a terrible movie about, like, uh, this mass murderer <laughs> coming through. And you can then let it out. And I think that's, like, a visceral way in which I can experience, like, my outside life in the film. When I was in high school, I used to go to like the opening day of a lot of horror movies and there's such this like group visceral experience where everybody is shouting on opening day of a horror movie which is really fun because like people will be you know you'll laugh at someone's weird scream and it's sort of like takes the tension down a little bit you know you're in it together with all of these other people in the theater so what were some of the top films that bitch readers recommended we had this list of 130 down to 20 what were some of your favorites that wound up on the list? Oh my gosh. Well, it was such a pleasure to read through the list and remember all of these. So there's so many horror films on the list that uh, I had never heard of, but so many that were great favorites. Um, Suspiria was suggested many, many what's, times. What's Suspiria? Suspiria is an Italian horror film uh, about, oh my God, the plot is so amazing. It is basically just about witches at a ballet boarding school. Then that's, what? yep. Wait, ballet witches? The witches are not ballet. They might be teachers. They're oh. they're not dancers, but they live at a ballet boarding school okay. in Germany. And it's like the colors are like so vivid and the sets are gorgeous. Um, yeah, it's not super, super scary, but it's a, it's pretty scary. Other favorites. Um, teeth was suggested many times, which is... Uh, I actually have seen Teeth. Teeth is such a great movie. Um, A dark comedy about uh, a teenage girl who discovers that she has teeth. Uh, She has vagina dentata. Vagina dentata. And it's sort of like she sort of becomes like a superhero. Like it's her special power that she's able to like uh, seek vengeance for herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that film really explores a lot of themes around it really explicitly explores themes around like sexual empowerment, sexual control and rape culture. Yeah. Where she winds up, you know, she has this, she has a vagina dentata and it's partly like this, the fear that she has stems from fear of her own body. Yeah. And that's manifested in literally having teeth in her (laughs) vagina. 
another uh in the past few years there have been so many good horror movies that i've been my head been saying we're living in the horror movie renaissance and i'm in my head i've just been shouting that at anyone who will listen to me, <laughs> um, which is like uh, in the past few years, The Babadook, It Follows, um, and The Witch. Uh, also, Good Night, Mommy, which didn't make it onto this list, but that's another horror film from the past couple of years. Um, I've just been seeing in the past couple of years, it seems like people are taking horror really seriously as a genre um, and are trying to... I mean, I guess I think people have always been trying to say things through horror films, but I feel like especially in those films in the past couple of years, there have been really creative ways that filmmakers have sort of played around with the conventions of horror. The Babadook is a film that a lot of people were talking about that we reviewed on Bitch, I think two years ago when it came out. What's what's the film about and what themes does it deal with? The Babadook is about a uh, widow mother, widowed mother and her young son. And her son comes to her one day and she says, he says, hey, I found this pop-up book. Will you read it to me? It's called Mr. Babadook. And the book is so scary and the pop-ups are so scary. And it's basically like this ominous creature who wears a top hat who is going to come into your house and you won't be able to get rid of him. And uh, after they read this book, the Babadook starts sort of showing up in the mother's nightmares when she's walking around. Um, and so both the mother and the son are convinced that the Babadook is real. And they both sort of sort of the haunted house becomes their own house because they're trapped there with the Babadook and they have to figure out what it is and how to conquer it. What themes does it deal with? Well, it's mostly about I think I think it's about grief and about uh, the horrors of motherhood. I think a lot of horror films are about sort of fears related to the body, fears related to periods, fears related to giving birth. Um, but I think also um, the Babadook is more about is also about how scary motherhood is, how scary it is to have responsibility for another human, how unpredictable motherhood can be, just like how frightening the idea of being a mother could be for a woman who doesn't have a partner or who, you know, just any woman. One film you just mentioned is is The Witch, which came out last year. The Witch, which came out last year. Witch, yeah. <laughs> witch. <which? laughs> um and can you just tell us a little bit about that movie and what kind of themes it's grappling with? Yeah, The Witch is actually my favorite horror film of all time, even though it came out this year. So that it's great. Yes, it's great. It's great. Um, so The Witch, uh, what I think is really interesting about The Witch is that so many of our ideas of sort of like horror and take place because so many of our ideas of, about horror have to do with these ideas planted in our head by the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. And so all of these stories that we know about like Hansel and Gretel, about like dangerous forests, those are set in Germany. They're set in the dark forest, which is a dark forest in Germany. What I think is so scary about The Witch is that it sort of takes those fears, those anxieties, but plants them in the United States in a colony uh, in New England. And I think that's like a space where we haven't really seen these same kinds of fears before. Um, but The Witch is about a family that is cast out of their colony, uh, and so they have to sort of make their own way in the wilderness. Uh, they are Puritans. They're very religious and um, basically lots and lots of bad things keep happening to the family, including the disappearance, the very strange disappearance of a baby. Uh, and sort of as more and more bad things keep happening, the family is sure that they're cursed. They think that perhaps they've been cursed by a witch in the woods or perhaps that one of the members of the family is a witch. And so it's sort of like everybody turns on each other until everybody turns on Thomason, the main character, who is a teenage girl. And it deals a lot with those same themes of sort of 
sexual empowerment, female sexuality, and women and, and female control. It, yeah, it also it's sort of um, this theme that we see a lot in movies, in horror films, which is like becoming a woman equals becoming a monster. And so Thomason is sort of in this borderline space between girlhood and womanhood. She's maybe 13 or 14. And there are a few shots where we see that, for instance, she has breasts, that she's, you know, old. she's the oldest in her family. Um, but it's that sort of space between girlhood and womanhood that makes her so dangerous to her family. So the first scary film that I watched that like really, really scared me was The Blair Witch Project. I mean, to the point where I couldn't sleep in my own bedroom. I still haven't um, seen I, that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think it had a lot to do with like who I was at the time. I saw I was younger and I, and the way they built up that scary movie. Because like there is there is like no gore. There are like no monsters because it's really about like the monsters that you invent in your head. And uh, and what you think they they are po- they could possibly do, and I remember very vividly like sleeping in the living room for a couple nights, and like I hope this isn't a spoiler, but like because that film was came out like 10, 20 years ago or whatever, but uh, I couldn't look at corners of rooms. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> so that one like really messed me up, but like it's amazing how much horror films can like stick with you, and how like um, these persistent themes in horror films are just get laid in the back of your head forever. I also have really strong memories about seeing the Blair Witch Project and being totally terrified. I lived in Kansas when I saw the Blair Witch Project, just like in, you know in the middle of nowhere, and uh, I watched it and I finished it. And I was like, well, here I am in the middle of the nowhere in the woods in Kansas. So, like, probably there's a Blair Witch, like, right outside of my window. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> Gonna deal with I'll it. just, res- you know, resigned to my fate. Yeah, I really, I guess I appreciate horror films in theory. Like, I think it's great to have films that really explore what we're afraid of and make us analyze that. And explore what our society finds taboo and makes us analyze that. Um, and makes us ask questions, like... Oh, what what do we fear about women's bodies? What do we fear about our own bodies? What do we fear about the unknown? What do we fear about being alone? And I also appreciate films that that use violence well or that have not much violence. Um, the films that I really, really can't handle and can't hold any water with are films that just sort of throw around violence or throw around rape scenes or throw around torture scenes as if they're not going to impact the viewer in a in a major way. You know, so I appreciate films that both like, have the goal of making us ask questions about what we're afraid of and then use violence in a way that helps us investigate those questions rather than just throwing them in your face for the sake of, you know, making a splash. Right. And I, so I feel like that's the point sort of, again, of this this fairy tale book that these feelings that we have, these films that we make have use for people because they force us to think about our fears or they force us to sort of symbolically confront our fears um, or even not even force. Like, let's say they allow us to symbolically confront our fears and maybe be a little bit less afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you want to see that whole list of the 20 films that we've chosen, it's at bitchmedia.org. It's called Bitches Halloween Horror Flicks Tape. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a link to it in the in the podcast post on our site, too. Um, and it's a list of 20 films that you recommend we watch during uh, Halloween if you like horror films and are not named Sarah Merck. The, the first one is from 1944 and the last one is from 2016. So it's really a wide span of uh, horrors, horror films that are ripe for feminist analysis. Awesome. Thanks, Dahlia. Thank you. 
All right. At the end of the show, we talk about one thing we read, one thing we watched, and one thing we heard this week. This week, our recording of this segment of the episode got mysteriously deleted while we were uploading it. So uh, we have to record it today on Friday morning. I called Amy, who is <laughs> now in New Orleans, at the conversation. Hi, Amy. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. we're talking in the future from the rest of this episode. I know, right? <laughs> so strange. Yeah, it is the strangest. But I'm just glad that we're able to still do this and get the segment in. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about uh, one thing you watched. What, what did you watch this week? Oh, so the thing that I'm like super excited about is um, HBO's new show, Insecure, that stars Issa Rae and is based on the web series The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl and that was also turned into a book by her. Um, it's a show that's been in development for, I think, like three years or something, um, but it centers around the story of a fictional Issa who works at like a nonprofit and has to deal with like weird just a weird bullshit that you have to deal with when you work in a nonprofit. And her best friend, Molly, who's like a high power corporate attorney and like how they're navigating their lives as like, you know, women in their late twenties. And it's just like a gorgeous show. And it's so amazing to watch the show centered on like two young black women just doing their thing. Um, and I just excited that something like this is on the air. And, you know, one of the things I really love about the show is like that I had mentioned this last time before the, the recording got deleted, but that um, the show is, like, beautifully lit. It's, like, the lighting is so amazing for these characters. And, like, uh, you had mentioned that there's been a documented history of, like, um, how often, like, film and television uh, isn't made to showcase and highlight, like, people with different skin tones that deviate from, like, a light skin tone. So just seeing, like, like, you know, black women in the show being lit properly is like still revolutionary. Yeah, there's been a lot of research on the the, the phrase that a lot of people use is cinematic racism, where um, let like the cameras people use, the lighting people use is calibrated to best highlight white actors. And so when you have people with darker skin tones on screen, they don't look as good. And something that um, in recent years, some directors have been doing a really good job at is lighting and shooting their shows with darker skin tones in mind. And that's something you definitely see in Insecure. Yeah. And also like in How to Get Away with Murder, like Viola Davis, like glowing, like these women look <laughs> amazing on these shows. So kudos to them. I'm so glad the Insecure uh, is on the air because it was in development for so long. I was worried that HBO was going to kill it, but uh, it came to the air and is and is great. Oh, yeah, um, and then we also have a piece on, on the web by uh, Aya De Leon about the show. Um, it's called The Beautiful Brilliance of Insecure. Um, you should check that out as well on bitchmedia.org. Okay, so one thing that I read this week, I'm reading the book by Jessamine Ward called The Men, Men We Reaped, um, and it's a really powerful and interesting memoir about five black men who died in her community where, where she grew up. And their deaths seemed disconnected. They died in different ways. One from an overdose, one got hit by a train. But she weaves together this narrative that shows how they're all connected to the history of racism and poverty in the United States that undervalues Black lives and makes it hard for communities to get ahead. And so it's just a really interesting and, and powerful look at this. And it's called Men We Reaped by Jessamine Ward. 
Um, and to close out the show, we've got a song from the band The Blow. The Blow has not been releasing a lot of new music recently, but it's a duo of uh, two female producers who are known for making beats. And uh, I'm excited to see them re- release a new song. Maybe it means they'll have a new album in the future. The Blow is one of my favorite bands in college, and it's just cool to see them have new music. So check it out. Here's a new single from The Blow. Thanks for making time, Amy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get out of this closet with the glitter box now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Amy. Bye. Thanks for listening to Backtalk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Our feminist response to pop culture is entirely funded by our community. Love our work and want to pitch in? Become a member. Join hundreds of fellow listeners as a member of the podcast Pollinators. And when you do, you'll receive a special mug, a subscription to Bitch Magazine in print and digital, a snazzy sticker, and Listen Bitch a brand new monthly roundup of all of our podcast shows and music reviews straight to your inbox. Become a pollinator today at bitchmedia.org slash pollinators. Earn your women, gender, and sexuality studies degree online. Explore the role of race, social class, age, ability, appearance, and sexual identity. Play in women's everyday lives. Join the nation of do what you love. Push up your sleeves, make the world better. Oregon State University. Learn more at ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash WGSS. That's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash WGSS.